today marks the start of our Christmas series of messages every year. I look forward to this. It's one of my favorite times of year. It's just fun. And uh, so we're calling this series A Thrill of Hope. A Thrill of Hope just uh, sang that line and that song. Um, in a year of confident hope, in a year we've been really exploring hope and where hope comes from, we're going to conclude our year. Isn't that crazy? We're, we're ending the year. 2022, coming to an end. How many remember, like, Y2K? Right? Older folks, remember Y2K? Like, we're in 2022. It was 22 years ago. More than two decades ago, we weren't sure if the world was going to just, like, blip. Like, when the clock was going to tick from 99 to 2000, like, like didn't know what was going to happen. It was, like, real fear. Like, people were, bunk, you know, in bunkers. Like, it was a thing. Like, everything was just, everything had a timer, and it was just going to shut off. And so anyway, 2022 is coming to an end. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Vic read part of that. We didn't talk, so he beat me to it. So he got my uh, text there. But it's uh, page 614 in the Bibles in your seats. If you'd like to turn there and read along. If you, get, if you need a Bible, please take it. Uh, you can have it. We'll get more. Um, if you want to give it to somebody as a Christmas gift, hey, I bought you this gift. You can, you can, you can, I got a gift for you. You can just say, I got a gift for you. You're not lying. You didn't pay for it, but you can say, I got it. You got it here. So take that. All right, so um, once Thanksgiving is over, hope that you had a good Thanksgiving and you had a good time with your families and all that kind of stuff, eating, but once Thanksgiving is over, Christmas season is sort of like in full effect. Like everybody's like, all right, now we can do this. Even for like the diehards, you're like at least, you know, some people are doing like Christmas in July, but for some of you, you're holding out, but now hopefully you're, you know, we're here's December, so decorations and Christmas music and eggnog and pictures of Santa and if anybody indulges, Elf on a Shelf, right, shows up, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my condolences, if that's you. Um, there's a certain quality in the air that changes as Christmas approaches, like in the stores, wherever you're at. You know, Starbucks changes their, their, their cups. You know, they start getting the Christmas cups on it and their candy cane lattes or whatever they're doing. I don't know. It's, it's just another thing. Yeah, they still do. And I think they still do pumpkin if you want it. So you can just ask them for that, too. But I remember that feeling of Christmas, especially as a kid growing up, you know, that's sort of like a difference in the air. Like Christmas, there's like an excitement in the air. Um, and it grows more and more as the day approaches. And one tradition in particular that helps uh, cultivate that feeling, and I kind of talked about some of these things last week, but it's Christmas movies, right? Christmas movies start to get you in the, in the mood, right? And in no particular order, some of my favorite Christmas-specific movies, um, uh, Elf, right? Elf's a... Elf's a good one. The Muppets Christmas Carol, which is the best of all time. Right, Muppets Christmas Carol. The Charlie Brown Christmas, right, it's got to be up there. Uh, I like Miracle on 34th Street, right, the old one. And, uh, and, of course, It's a Wonderful Life. Like, that's sort of like, you got to watch that. Like, if you have any, you know, sense of depth in your life, you got to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I know some of, anybody, I know you got others. Who's got others? Like, go ahead, give me others. Christmas story. All right, that was too. Everybody's good. You'll shoot your eye out. I know. Christmas story. Anybody else? The Grinch. The Grinch is a good one. It depends on which one. Like the original one, the Jim Carrey version. You know, that's all good. So um, the Grinch. Grinched. Scrooged. Anybody? Yeah. But yeah. Die Hard. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. The, we're gonna go Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie? A hands up. Is it? No. No. We're not gonna do that. No. Yeah. So Polar Express, anybody? Uh, Home Alone, Home Alone, there you go. All right, so I mean, there's, 
a Christmas Carol, yeah, all sorts of them. Uh, you know, which one you like, you know, if you like the Alistair Sim one, that was like the real old one. I mean, that was terrifying. When those old guys, you know, like, oh, my gosh, that was, that was, that was like, that was trauma. Um, anyway, all sorts of Christmas, but gets you in the mood, like watching those things. It's like I got a list. I got to watch these, but it's not Christmas. I got to get these, got to get these in. Um, and in order to get the most out of those movies, all of us, we have to submit to what the great poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge called the willing suspension of disbelief, right? You've, you've probably heard that, but that essentially in order to truly immerse yourself in any story that you know is a story, you have to suspend your awareness of reality, right? You have to choose to accept that the fictional story in front of you is, is true. To, to really get into it, you've got to... I know it's a story, but I want to I get in there. I want to get in there. So, of course, puppets talk. Of course they do. And yes, a human being was raised in the North Pole by elves. Of course. And of course, reindeer fly. And yes, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Of course those things happen because I'm, I'm in there. And many of our movies ask that from us, right? Whether you find yourself in Narnia, right? Or Wakanda, or on Tatooine for you nerds, or um, at the North Pole. No matter where you are, you have to suspend your disbelief to really get into the story, to immerse yourself in the magic of it. And that's the thing about fantasy. It's, it's captivating, right? We, we enjoy being there. It can provide us this relief from reality. Anybody? Like you kind of go transport to a different place when you're watching the movies. You're like, ah, oh, I feel like I'm there. I can, I can escape for a little bit. Many people wish that those places were real. Some people live as if those places are real. I was in Walmart today, and they had, uh, yeah, um, Wakanda sweatshirts. And people were like, I have to have these. I love Wakanda. I was like, it's not real. Not real. But they, like, this is it, you know, because what happens is that when we're watching it, we're, we're there, you know, even if Avatar, right? You're watching, you're in, this, you're in this other realm. And then what happens is that when the movie ends and the credits roll and the lights come back on, oh, oh. Right? You find yourself right back in a real world where work needs to be done. And uh, there's pains that need to be addressed. There's texts that need to be responded to and emails and phone calls. And, yeah, the world didn't stop because you were in a movie in a fantasy land. It just kept going, and there's problems still everywhere. And there's no need to suspend disbelief anymore because we live in a very real world, and we can just live in this one. It's very believable. And the reason I bring that up is that some people, and I'd say perhaps many people, would suggest that belief in God, particularly as we get to this Christmas time of year, as we talk about the incarnation, as we talk about this Christmas story, many people would suggest that to believe in God requires that same suspension of disbelief. That God is only found in some fantastical imagination, that he sounds great and nice and appealing, but at some point we have to grow up and accept reality, and turn on the lights. And that way of thinking, that perspective, is absolutely understandable. Totally understandable. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. Um, you may be listening, and that could be your perspective. You may be uh, related to people that have this perspective. You probably live with lots of people who have this sense. And we're talking about, think about what we're talking about when we talk about believing in God and the Christmas story and all this stuff. We're talking about having confidence, this faith, right, belief in a God whose form is invisible, 
whose voice is inaudible to human ears, a God who exists beyond time and space, who is not subject to the laws of our universe. I mean, you can't argue that that sounds like fantasy. Right? That's kind of unreasonable. And if you accept that, then the only way to believe in God must be to ignore reality. That's like the only way that you can actually have faith is that you've got to suspend your disbelief. For thinking intelligent people, what you're, it sounds like you're doing is asking them to trade their brain for their heart. That you want to believe, but you can't intellectually get there. So you're asking them to make that trade, and that's rarely a trade they're willing to make. It demands too much. So here's the question. This Christmas season, is that what God asks of us? Is that what faith asks of us? Does faith ask us to set aside our rational, very real mind and just believe, to suspend all sense of disbelief? Because there's clearly a lot of fantastical elements in this story. Um, so is, it, is ignoring reality requirement for having a relationship with God? And I would believe, and I suggest that the answer is, of course not. <laughs> kind of my job depends on it. No, but that's why we're here. But I think the way God introduced himself to this world, even though it sounds fantastical, I think there's a different perspective we can have on the same exact story. So I want to tell this crazy, fantastical story, but then I'm going to tell it from a very logical perspective, and let's see where we end up. So Luke 2, um, I won't read too much of it because Pastor Vic read it already, again, stealing my thunder, and it's good to save some time. But, you know, that night, shepherds in the field, all that kind of stuff, angels show up blowing trumpets, and they, you know, they're, they're terrified and all this stuff, and they said, you're going to find the baby. Um, and then all these angels are showing up, and they're singing. We pick it up in, uh, in verse 14. So you can skip ahead to verse 14 there in the slides. And it says this, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. These are the angels speaking, right? And then verse 15, it says, so now when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, that was weird. They say, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And then we conclude with this verse. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had told them. So this story is full of hard-to-believe activity, right? Angels showing up to shepherds. Right, that there's this baby born to a virgin, in this, right, and it's this crazy thing, and there's a star, and there's all these crazy things in there. And so we're just going to look at it from the shepherd's perspective today. And here's the question. In a story full of hard-to-believe activity, what can we understand about what a relationship with God asks of us in 2022 for thinking people? Because hopefully we're all thinking people, right? None of us have made the trade heart for brain. Yeah, maybe you did. Don't raise your hand. Yeah. If you did, you probably might have your hand up. So anyway, let's take a look at what God did for the shepherds. So here's the first thing he did for the shepherds, right? First thing he did is he came to earth. God says, I'm going to come to earth because can shepherds get to heaven? <laughs> no, right? Shepherds don't, they don't. God literally stepped out of heaven and took on the most vulnerable human form, which is a newborn. We've got some newborns in the room. There you go. Thank you. There you go, little guy. Right? So he was just like that. 
like couldn't hold his head, couldn't feed himself. Complete, the most vulnerable of human beings is a newborn. And God stepped out of heaven and took on that form. Jesus was fully dependent on the people around him for, for, for food, for care, um, for protection. His life was literally in Joseph and Mary's hands. Now, the king of that region, Herod, if you remember the story, was threatened by the presence of this king, had heard about this Messiah and, and misunderstood that this Messiah wasn't coming for a political kingdom. So Herod took it personally, and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in that region around Bethlehem who were two years of old or younger just to make sure there wasn't anybody there that was going to threaten him. So think about this. God left the security of heaven for a highly unstable hostile and violent environment, right? So this is the miracle of the incarnation that God would come to us, right, knowing there was no way we could cross over into eternity. So he said, okay, I'll come to you. Listen, I don't care how high you can jump. Some of you think you can jump high. I don't care how many rockets that SpaceX can build. Um, we're not getting to heaven. And God says, okay, so here's the deal. You guys are down there. I'm going to, even though it's dangerous and though it's not ideal, and even though this is a threatening environment, and even though I will be vulnerable, I'm going to show up there. So he did the hard part of crossing that eternal bridge, right, and say, okay, I will come into time and space that you understand. it. But that's not all he did. So the second thing he did is he clued the shepherds into Jesus. Because if he hadn't have done that, they would have missed it. Without the angels... The shepherds would have missed it. Imagine if God didn't send angels. So the shepherds are out in the fields with the sheep. And you know what they would have done? Kept on shepherding. That's what they would have done. They would have hung out in the fields with the sheep. They would have played their harmonicas, right? And they would have, you know, they would have, they would have I don't know what they did in their flutes. They would have listened for predators maybe, checking on the sheep, you know, throughout the night, hanging out with their buddies. Maybe it was a nice, you know, night. I don't know. But they, they would have just stayed out there in the field. And it would have been a day just like any other day. Without the angels telling them, the shepherds would have been within walking distance of Jesus. Within walking distance of the Savior of humanity and not known it. They would have had no idea that just a few steps away, the Son of God had entered into this world. Let me ask you, when you're busy at work, when you're busy about your day doing things, do you know everything that's going on around you? Are you concerned with everything else that's going on around you? Like when you drive in your car, are you worried about where everybody else is going? No. When I fly in a plane, you know what I notice? I always look out the window when you're over highways. Like all oh, those little cars, they're rushing everywhere. I don't know where anybody's going and I don't care. It's totally irrelevant. I'm way up here. And look at these people like ants going all around and none of it matters. See, because when we're busy about our business, there's so many other things in the world. We don't have the capacity to, to process it all. We don't care unless it directly affects us. I don't care what everybody else is doing. The shepherds' minds would have not been on what else was going on in the village and all that. They're just caring about the sheep. They're, yeah, there's stuff going on in the village. Hey, but we're out here. Doesn't matter to me. Not my problem. Not my job. Maybe the next day, maybe the next day, the shepherds would have walked by the, through the village to their home. And they would have walked by that home just like it was every other home with a door and windows and people in it just like everybody else in the village. Nothing about the place was special. It would have looked like any other home. They may have even heard the cries of the baby and go, yeah, that's what they do. Babies cry. Oh, there's a baby there. Okay, big deal. 
nothing. Maybe they even knew that it was Joseph and Mary's baby, right? But they wouldn't even stood out. A lot of people have babies. Eh, the carpenter had a baby, Mazel Tov. Good for Cousin Joe and Mary. Maybe I'll bring him a onesie with a sheep on it, right? But that's it, nothing special. There would have been nothing that cued them in to the extraordinary nature of what God was doing without divine intervention. Without God saying, hey, look here, nothing would have looked unusual. The Savior of the world, right under their noses in their backyard, and they would have missed it unless God clued them in, which he did. But that's not all he did. Because third, then he welcomed them in. See, the, the angels invited them to come and see. They said, so come and see. So I'm going to tell you what's happening. I'm going to show up. I'm going to come to your world. I'm going to tell you about it, and then I'm going to welcome you to come see. The shepherds, now in that society, you have to understand, the shepherds would have been considered unclean. They're with animals. It would have been impossible for them to keep all of the religious laws to maintain that sense of being clean, right? So they couldn't go in the temple. They, they couldn't go around other people because then they would have contaminated those people because then those people are unclean. They've got to go through the purification rituals. Um, so shepherds generally were considered lower class people. At first, they were probably just terrified of the angels, which is understandable, like angels, whoa. But then as they're being told this, they were probably doubtful. Wait, we can't go see this baby. Like, you're inviting us into the place where the Messiah is. The poor are generally av avoided. You don't throw baby showers and invite a bunch of dirty shepherds. Like, hey, there's a baby here. Yeah, bring in, bring in all, everybody who's been, all the landscapers. Let's bring them all in, right? Yeah, just come in right in, you know, with your weed whackers, right? Especially not for the Messiah, the hope of humanity. They shouldn't have been the ones invited. And this part is amazing, and I've never really thought about it before. But I was reading and in, in some, doing some research in this, and, and one of the, uh, the commentators brought this up. Listen to what the angels told them about the baby. He was wrapped in strips of cloth which is what peasants and poor people usually wrapped their babies in. It wasn't wrapped in silk or fine clothes. It wasn't wrapped in something that would have symbolized royalty. It was wrapped in something ordinary and common. And he wasn't lying in a, in a palace, in, 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 a, in a palatial bedroom, you know, that was a sacred holy. He wasn't in the holy, holy place in the temple. No, he's in a, in a manger. And again, I know I don't want to ruin everybody's Christmas. We've talked about this before, if you remember, you know, the nativity sets and all that. Jesus was born in a, in a barn. That's not really how it was. Um, back there, <laughs> in those days, in their homes, they would have had two rooms. There was the, the main living room, and then there would have been a bedroom or a guest room, something like that. And so this was the time of year where they had all sorts of a family coming back because of the census going on. So families would have returned there. So everything would have been packed. But there's no way they leave pregnant people out in the streets, in the barns. They, they were terribly hospitable people. They, they would have included Mary in their home, lots of people in the home. But what would have happened was because those rooms were all filled, there was nowhere for her to put the baby to rest. And so they would kick. There was always animals in the home. At night, they would bring the animals in to sleep. And there was a, a trough where they would feed the animals, and then the animals would go out at night. Just some of the, the not, not herds of animals, but some of the animals. So every home was built like that. So they would have put Mary in, uh, Mary would have put the baby in the home in where they put the animals to feed. So it was just a normal home, like in a living room. 
He just, there was no room for them. The inn really means the guest room. Is, that's what that word means. There was no room for them in the guest room, so they're out in the common area with everybody else, and Jesus is just sitting there where they usually feed the animals because it was a place to put them because it was packed with people. But the point in all this is not to take away from the story, but to say God was somewhere terribly ordinary, terribly common, clearly not someone who was born into privilege. And here's the thing, for the shepherds who would not normally get invited, they're being told the Messiah is on your level. He's just like you. Yeah, you might be considered low class by others, but God met them right where they were, in a place, in a manner they had access to. And God was underlining this point for them. He said this, he didn't come even for them. He came especially for them. Think about that. He didn't come just even for you. No, he came especially for you. It's called grace. They didn't deserve it. But the almighty God comes, chooses to approach, to pursue, to present himself and his truth. He does the hard part, right? Comes especially for, he wasn't throwing the shepherds a bone. He chose to go first. God was making a statement. Jesus is accessible to everyone. And on top of that, they're invited to the house to see the baby. They are honored guests. It's backwards from our world, right? But that's God because he's right side up. This world is backwards. It it comes especially for God came on purpose. It wasn't an accident. This was the reason God came specifically to accomplish this task. He came for them. He knew who they were. He knew what they were. He knew what people thought that they were. He knew their history. He knew their language, their style, their context. He knew their culture. He knew everything that they would understand. He said, I'm going to come in your clothes. And I'm going to come in a place you understand. And I'm going to come reveal myself to you. But that's not the only thing he did. That's not the last thing he did. He did one more thing. It says he filled them with hope. He filled them with hope. So he came. He clued them in. He welcomed them. And then he changed them. Without all this happening, had they not encountered any of this stuff, perhaps, perhaps in time they hear stories of the Messiah, even in our own town. Oh, yeah, that was my town. Yeah, did you know that? I went, I went to high school with John Stewart. Well, not really John Stewart, but he went to my high school 10 years before I was there. True story. He went to Lawrence High, right? He went to Lawrence High before us. I never met him, but I claim him. Yeah, it's pretty cool because he went to my high school, so I went there. The shepherds. Yeah, Jesus, he came from, he came from my town. I never met, never, met, never met him, never saw him, but yeah, I'm, I'm a Beth, I'm, I was from Bethlehem. That was it. That's what they would have done. They would have associated it with history, with tradition. Yeah, we were, that was part of us, but they would have had no connection, no, no personal understanding of him. And their life would really have been simply about continuing. They would have just been shepherds, about making a living, about going on with life, about survival. Like They're nobody special. Nobody's ever told them they're special. They're just shepherds, and they just would have kept shepherding for the rest of their life. There would have been no hope for promotion for them. There's no social mobility in the shepherding world. It's not like you get to be boss shepherd, and someday you're on your own shepherding company. And if you do really good, you end up on Shark Tank, telling people how you grinded, you know, and made it happen. These were shepherds, and that's all they were ever going to be. But God changed them. We're told that the shepherds went back to those sheep different. They were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. They're, they're shepherds, yes, but now they are also been recruited into the family of God, and they are now messengers of God. They're not just people watching sheep. They're people changing others. Their life now has impact. 
Still shepherds, but they're qualitatively different. Singing, dancing, shouting. I mean, it wasn't like they met the town mayor. It wasn't the governor. It wasn't even the king of the land. They got to meet the God of all creation. They got to meet the God who created the stars in the sky, who spoke life into existence, the God who is love and goodness, who has all power, the God who stepped out of eternity into their lives on purpose, and he welcomed them to be with him as honored family members. This was life-changing. Life-changing. They were not just shepherds. They were loved and favored by God. They had a Savior. They had met him, and he was going to make a way for them to receive the eternal life God had prepared for them. They went back to those sheep, changed. They had hope. Oh, man, I'm not just a shepherd. I got hope. So what? Don't you love that? So what? Listen, faith is still a necessary part of our relationship with God. Faith demands that we trust what we can't see. There's no way around that piece of it. It's kind of essential to the word faith. We have to believe. That's what faith is. Faith is I believe in things that I can't prove. But the thing about faith is that it's not uncommon. We exercise faith every single day. We have faith that the bank's going to care for our money. Some of you have less faith than others. but We have faith that teachers are going to educate and care for our children. We have faith that our spouses won't be unfaithful. Every time you put your garbage can out is an act of faith. <laughs> that the public work the works department is going to come. You put mail in a mailbox, you have faith in a postal system that's going to get it there. We, have, we exercise faith every single day. Things we can't prove, but we just expect to happen. Having faith is not the hard part. It's what we need that faith for. And that's why we need to know this. God still does all the hard parts of faith for us. You don't have to suspend your disbelief in order to believe because God does all the hard parts. Think about this. You don't have to try and find a magic eternity somewhere. God still comes to you. God still comes to you where you are, right where you are. You don't have to go to some spiritual, magical land to find God. You don't have to cross the Candy Cane Mountain, right? You don't have to cross, you know, the island of misfit toys. That's another good one. Oh, that's a good one. Rudolph, I forgot that one. You don't have to do all those things to find God. God says, hey, I'm going to come to you in your very real world. I'm going to come to you in your cubicle, on your couch, in your car. God comes to you wherever you are. He doesn't, in your school, it doesn't matter. He doesn't ask you to go on some magic quest to find him. He says, hey, I'm going to come to you. I'll do the hard part so that you get to do the easy part. You keep doing what you know to do. And all you got to do is just expect me to show up in your life. The shepherds didn't have to do anything. Yes, it sounds like a crazy story, but you know what? They didn't have to do anything other than be shepherds. And God showed up to them in a field. You don't have to find your way to God. He says he'll find his way to you. He knows exactly where you are. So just set your expectations and wait for him. But that's not all. God still clues us in to what's going on because he doesn't want us to miss it. Some of us are you know, just aware of our surroundings. Some of you are less aware of your surroundings. You can 
walk by things, right? You know, that's, I don't, yeah. There's a line I want to quote from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but I will not do it because it's not appropriate for church. But it has something to do with you couldn't hear a, you know, dump truck if it drove through that wall. There are some of us that just miss things, can't. But God says, hey, as you go through your day in a very real world, if you're listening, if you're listening, I'm simply going to point and say, I'm right here. If you will listen as you go throughout your day, it doesn't have to be magic. God will just say, I'm right here in your very real world. The Spirit of God will open your eyes, your ears, your heart, your mind to recognize him. You don't have to exhaust yourselves trying to see God in every little thing. God makes it very obvious and very clear. The shepherds had no question that that was God. It wasn't like, hey, did you hear that sheep? Did that sound weird to you? Was that God? You know, I heard a howl. Could that have been the Holy Spirit? No, it wasn't anything like that. It was an angel army. Pretty obvious. When God clues you in, it's not going to be a mystery. You're going to know. I don't know how you're going to know. I'm not worried about that. It's not my problem. God's problem. He's got it. He'll communicate to you in a way that you will know. The point is this. God will tell you where he is. And it's going to happen in very ordinary places. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come into your home in very ordinary clothes, in very ordinary ways, in ordinary places. There will be nothing that would clue anybody else in that something unusual is there except for the voice in your spirit saying, this is me. It's going to look normal to everybody else. It's just a baby being born. Nothing special about that. But there's going to be something in your spirit that says, no, that's God. When you hear his voice and you look, you will see what you could have walked right by. God says, I will do the hard part, so you get to do the easy part of just looking when I point. And that's still not the end because God still welcomes us in. Regardless of how worthy or unworthy we feel, some of you are thinking, this is great, but it's just not for me. God doesn't talk to me. That way, God doesn't show himself to me. You know, I believe in God. I just don't experience him like that. This is for like the extra spiritual people. It's not for normal people like me or for somebody like me. Whatever your language is, whatever the self-talk going on in your mind right now, if that's you, please hear this. Jesus didn't come even for you. He came especially for you. God doesn't keep anyone at arm's length. There is no one God is not inviting in. God does not want you on the outside looking in. If you believe that God is only accessible by some people but not for you, I'm going to say this gently, but you're believing a lie. The lie is leading you to assume you can't know God like that. You will never know God like that, and that lie is leading you to accept God from a distance. Listen to this for a moment. God didn't leave heaven. Paradise, right? He didn't leave heaven, send his angel armies to proclaim his arrival, lay aside his divinity, take on humanity, die a brutal death on the cross, defeat death, resurrect, send his spirit to all people everywhere, in every land, in every corner of the earth, in every generation, so that you could only know him intellectually but not personally. Do you think God really went to all that trouble? But, to, but for you, no, nah, I just can't know. He, 
He did all that, but I, I can't know him personally. If you're hearing this and you have never truly encountered God personally, you've never felt that he was in the room with you, just hear this. God says, I'm coming especially for you. I am welcoming you into my presence. It's not magic. I'm telling you, I want you. And here's the thing. God says, I do all the hard parts. All you have to do is knock on the door. I came all this way. I'm just inviting you. Come and see. The shepherds had to leave the field. God did all that work but said, hey, I'm telling you all this. It's amazing, but it's up to you to go see. You have to pursue and come look. If you want to know God personally, like personally, not just intellectually, you have to be willing to walk and knock. And you know what happens when you knock? Jesus kind of made a promise about it. He says this, keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Laying aside metaphors, God says, hey, just come seek me personally. I encourage you, please, if you don't want to miss out, you, all you have to do is say this, God, help me see you personally. It's not enough for me to know that other people have seen you. I want to see you. I want to know you like that. And there's, God, I may struggle with it, but I want to. Help me do that. If you will take that chance, if you'll take God at his word and come in, he's going to meet you there. But if you don't, if you don't, if you stay where you are, you will never know. You'll be on that hillside and you won't be any different. I promise, and God promises, when you encounter him, it changes you. And it changes you for the better because here's the last thing that happened. If we will do all of that stuff, God says, I'll do all those hard parts, but if you will do the easy part, if you will just come and look, here's what happens. I will fill your heart with hope. I will fill your heart with hope. This life is not all there is for us. You have a Savior, and he loves you. He sees you. He will not fail you. You are not just trying to make it through this life. You have a God who knows you have a purpose, who has a purpose for you now, and he has a paradise waiting for you then. It doesn't matter what this world says you are. It doesn't even matter who you think you are. God says that you are worth his life, that you are worth the trip. <laughs> you are worth the effort. You are loved and favored by God, and God will keep coming to you, keep cluing you into his presence, keep inviting you in, because that's who he is. And he relentlessly pursues you. The story that I hope we take away as we look this Advent to what the coming of Christ is, that God does all of this for us. He does all the hard parts just so that we could know him. He's made it very easy and very real. Very, very real. We don't have to suspend disbelief. All you have to do is keep doing what you're doing. Right? That's it. All you have to do is look where he points. That's pretty normal. Okay? All you have to do is go see when he says come. That's it. Very, very ordinary actions that lead to the hope of God coming into our hearts. I love Psalm 92. Psalmist says this, you thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you've done. 
past tense, what you've done. Christmas is what, all about what God has done. It's already done. How good is God that he did all the hard parts? Right? How good is he that we don't have to escape to a fantasy world to find him? But he comes to us in our very real world and engages us right where we are. That's pretty cool. We're going to kick off this, commu- this Christmas season by receiving communion. I'm going to invite the band up, but I'm very excited about receiving communion with you for a couple of reasons. One, it's a great way, I think, to kick off Christmas and to look forward to it. The second is that we have better little pieces here, and I hope they don't taste like styrofoam. We did a taste test, and they're, they're supposed to be better, so I'm looking forward to that, too. If you didn't get communion, uh, the elements here, the, the cup, please just raise your hand, and our ushers will make sure that you get one right up front here, please. Anybody else, just keep your hand up in the back there. Gloria in the back there. So uh, keep your hands up until everybody has been served. But I think communion really fits. Communion Christmas, but it really fits with this message. It's a great reminder, communion is, because in communion we remember, reflect on what God has done for us. And could there be a a better, more appropriate reminder that God did all the hard parts? than the cross. He did all the hard parts. He laid down his life. He sacrificed it all. And all we have to do is believe. That's what he did for us. Communion is a celebration of all that Jesus did for us, that he came and he shared truth. And he sacrificed his life for us, that there's no greater love than that one would lay down his life for another, and it's what he's done for us, so... The bread, it symbolizes his coming, that Jesus came in the flesh. We just take a moment and thank God for what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you now as we collectively reflect on what you've done. Lord, as we all together remember back what you've done for us. Lord, I ask you to Speak to us now, right where we are. Lord, you're in this room. You you promise that when we gather, you're among us. But Lord, I ask that as real as this bread, as real as you came to this earth, may we sense you and perceive you that real now. Lord, we invite you into this place for anyone receiving this with us who has never had that experience. Or perhaps it's been a really long time. In this moment, would you, in a way that only you can, just let us sense you. Let us hear you. Let's just pause for just a moment. And let God just speak whatever he may speak into your heart. great love for us displayed on that cross that you would go to such lengths you'd be willing to do the hardest thing of all to lay down your life innocently you did not deserve it 
You had no guilt. You'd never wronged or hurt anyone. Yet you willfully chose to give your life simply for the opportunity that we could receive eternal life. How much you love us. That's why you did all the hard parts, because you love us. So we take what seems like such a simple step, such an easy step to eat a small piece of bread together. But it's our way of saying we, we willfully remember. We choose to remember. We choose to let our lives always, always be lived mindful of what you've done for us. We won't forget. Thank you. Let's eat together. And the cup symbolizes his sacrifice. His bread symbolized his coming. The cup symbolizes his sacrifice, that he poured out his life there, that it cost him everything. Everything. So that we could have everything. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, let us not just be desensitized to this symbol. But this reminds us that you literally gave it all up for us. And that now we have this rich inheritance Lord, a hope stored up in heaven that will not disappoint, a hope that will never fail, it will never fade, the hope of life forever with you, with all of us. Lord, what a hope. What a hope. All we have to do is believe. You did all of it. You gave everything so that we could have everything. We thank you, Jesus. So, so grateful. And Lord, as we, in a moment, drink this together, may it just be our way of saying, Lord, we recognize that you love us. We believe. And Lord, would we leave this place tonight, just this simple gathering, changed? Would we go back to our respective places, our normal, our ordinary lives, but would we be different when we leave than when we walked in? Would we leave with a sense of hope? Or would we leave with the understanding that we are loved and accepted and valued, that you didn't come even for us, but you came especially for us? How good you are. How good you are. Let our lives shine so that everybody can know how good you are. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together.